What I've tried to do is essentially gut this bit's book for you. Um, and so at this point, if you want me to buy a bulk order, uh, then maybe raise a hand. Would anybody like a copy? I'm not judging you for that's fine. <laughs> um, I am actually. Uh, um, okay, so maybe I'll get five or six copies for next week, and then it'll save you going on to your favourite distributor and buying them. We'll get a bulk copy and a bit cheaper. Um, what I've tried to do essentially is to, to gut it, and I will teach a lot of it this evening and a bit more next week. Um, but I'd like to leave opportunity and space for us to think through. Um, how we engage with different cultural phenomena. And as I was walking down this evening, I was just brainstorming different interesting cultural things. So I'm going to read my list out. Um, And if there's anything that you like the sound of there, then write it down, because there will be an opportunity about three quarters of the way through to do a bit of group work or solo work, um, considering how we engage with these things. So... Absolutely, you will know me, so you, you will smirk. Uh, park run slash running culture. I was just thinking, we subscribe to Runner's World, and they often talk about how running saved my life, or my salvation, and they use very interesting language. Um, I think vaping is very interesting. Um, why is vaping such a big thing at this point, apart from it being addictive? Um, Halloween. Halloween both in the UK, and where we do things here, but also in the States. What does Halloween say about our culture? I think dog ownership culture is interesting. Um, we don't have a dog, but I see people who do, and, and it's, a, it's a very definite thing that you can become a part of, a, a community that you become a part of. Uh, Instagram is interesting. I think Extinction Rebellion is fascinating. It'd be great to think critically about that, and what we like, what we want to question. Netflix. Netflix is interesting. I think Netflix has got lots to point to the gospel in many ways. It's, I think it's, this is off the cuff. I think it's fascinating how it's very easy if you're on Netflix to just let it go on to the next thing. So little stories which make up a big story. There's something about a big meta-narrative that attracts us in a little bit. And you say, well, isn't that, isn't that the Bible in one sense? And we've got this kind of concept going on there. Uh, veganism. That's a big thing at the moment. Uh, 80s nostalgia slash Stranger Things um, one or the other or both I think that's fascinating as well why are we so up on 80s nostalgia at the moment Rubik's Cube and Rally Grifter Bites and all that kind of stuff I think that's a big thing um, partly because of Stranger Things but that's tapping into that as well um, and then just Siri or AI or what um, yeah, what we're thinking about when it comes to um, technology and how we're letting Alexa and Google and Siri come into our lives and what that says and what's good about that and what we want to question. If anything there is, um, keep your interest and make, make a note of it. Uh, we will come back to it and have an opportunity to do some, to do some work. Um, you have got... Uh, I, I can do the handout, actually. Right. There should be... There should be... Uh, Tom, you can get that out. You got one there? Yeah, OK. I would like to work my way relatively quickly through to uh, so work relatively quickly through through page one, page two. I'm going to miss page three, and that's your homework to do some work in Isaiah 44. 
Um, I'm going to ignore page four because we'll do that next week. That's your kind of. But can I watch Game of Thrones or whatever? I haven't got an easy answer for you for that. There's some principles there that we'll think about next week. Um, and then I'd like to spend some time on confrontation and connection. This is where I think the book gets really good and helpful for us. Um, how we can both confront and connect with um, culture in many ways. Um, let me just try and give you, as I say, I'll work fairly fast. Do you perhaps grab afterwards or say questions to the end? I've got, I've got too much information to work through, basically. Um, and the good stuff, I think, is as we get to the end and start to apply it. So I'll try and work through some of the foundational things first. So page one, if you've got your handouts there. Uh, we do genuinely live in a time of information overload. You know, 400 hours of YouTube video are uploaded every single minute. There are millions, bazillions of bytes of information. That's not a true number. Um, we don't work in bytes, though. We work in stories. And I don't mean stories like Cinderella. I don't mean fairy stories. I mean stories that are experiences, feelings, imagination, ideas that we communicate one from another all the time. They think in newspapers, books, films, songs, Instagram. What stories do we tell each other within our culture to make sense of the world? A quote from the book. All, all of us spend a lot of our waking moments taking in and telling these cultural stories. The average American takes in and consumes over 10 hours of media every day. And so the big question is, how do we as Christians engage with that culture, engage with these stories? And he has a... Because it's not easy, is it? He has a, a great example of um, someone called Miley Cyrus. Um, some of you will know who she is. Um, she's a bit of a tear away. Uh, let me read to you um, uh, a couple of bits from an interview that she gave. And this is just down strange. Um, highlighting how complex it is as we think about culture, as we think about um, yeah, the things that we hear. She says this. Uh, she says, I'm literally open to every single thing that is consenting and doesn't involve an animal and everyone is of age. She's talking about sex. She says, everything that's legal, I'm down with. Yo, I'm down with any adult, anyone over the age of 18 who is down to love me. I don't relate to being boy or girl. I don't have to have my partner relate to being boy or girl. The interview continues. She says, I can drive in my expletive Porsche and not expletive do something. I see it all day. People in their Bentleys and their Rolls and their Ubers driving past these homeless veterans who have fought for our country or these young women who have been raped. So in one sense she's talking about her incredible sexual promiscuity and openness. And then suddenly we see she's got a real heart for the outcasts. Um, she's got her own homeless charity. Think, how do we engage with Miley Cyrus? What do we think of Miley Cyrus? Because it's not simple, is it? I mean, in some senses, well, she's obviously created in God's image, but that image is marred. So how do we think about someone like that? How do we respond to the culture around us? Uh, historically, Christians haven't been great at it. Um, and there have been three main historical stances that you can see on your handout there. Either we, we look in, that is, we keep our heads in the sand, we ignore it, we keep ourselves safe. It's the flight response. Um, it's locking ourselves away. Um, the second one is to, is to lash out. That is, it's the tuck and the roll of our eyes. It's the sanctified fight. It's the judgmentalism, looking down our noses at the culture. Well, the third one is, is the looking like our culture. That is, we become indistinguishable from those next door. 
coming to our house, you come into the next door neighbour's house and, and it, it, it looks the same, it feels the same, everything is the same, we just blend in like comedians, we, we don't want people to think Jesus is that weird, and so we just look like everyone else, um, seeking maybe to be relevant. Um, this book is about a fourth way, and that is it's the being the in, but not of, of the world. How do we be in the world and not of the world? How do we um, inhabit and be a part of it and yet not look like it and be different? So if you can think, those three options there are unhelpful. The fourth one is what he's trying to unpack. And he says this, he says, the book will help you to process the cultural stories being told, but pointing people to a bigger reality, the story of King Jesus and his plan for this world. Because you can't escape culture, but you can engage with culture. What is culture? And um, we'll come back onto these actually. These, if you think of um, etymology, that is the way the word is made up, the constructed, it's, it's background, three helpful strands from its Latin roots. Um, I did a couple of years of Latin, but I'm not going to try and pronounce it in a way that I ought to. Um, the first one is colere, C O L E R E, which refers to agriculture, it's to do with tilling the ground and growing things. Second one is colonus, the idea of it inhabiting something, living in something. Colonise. And the third one is cultus, C-U-L-T-U-S, which is honour and worship. And our word culture has got strands of all three of those things in a really helpful way. It's very interesting. Um, we'll come on to that in a bit. He then goes through some other grids and lenses, thinking through... Um, our, our definition of, of culture. It depends on which discipline we are interested in or involved in. Um, for example, there's the arts definition. Think about culture through the lens of the arts. Then if somebody is cultured, they don't go, for out, for, go out for footy and a kebab. They go and listen to the opera and then go punting. Okay, so that's what someone is cultured. That, that's how we use the word, yeah? Um, the second one would be a social sciences definition. And if you imagine you go into an archaeological dig and you are part of that dig and you find a bowl or something, and suddenly you get a snapshot of what life was like for them, of who these people were. And so the social sciences definition is to do with um, activities and artefacts that humans create to give us order, identity and meaning. So maybe ordinary, everyday activities the way that we do things around here. Cultural studies is particularly relevant at the moment in our, in our current world to do with issues of identity, um, power, politics, ethnicity, class, age and gender. That's a particular thing at the moment. Um, I was annoyed, I forgot to bring something. We got a, a free little catalogue through the post that came with I didn't get the week. Um, and it's called... Uh, culture vulture and essentially the things that you can buy for Christmas but from all around the world it's quite posh so I thought ah that ticks the first one that ticks the art it's cultured and refined but also ticks um, the third one and that it's to do with um, buying stuff from around the world is at home sorry I forgot it um, so there's the first three the fourth one though is the, again the one that um, Dan wants us to focus in on and that is the idea of stories the stories we tell that express meaning about the world the stories we tell that express meaning about the world. 
four reasons we should care, and I'm going to be really quick on these again. Um, in one sense, we've got no choice. We are cultural beings, we are in the world, we consume and we create culture every day, we belong to a culture, it's part of who we are. As Christians we are in Christ and yet we are also in Oxford, we have an identity here um, and therefore whatever we do, in one sense we are part of that culture. We need to be thinking about it. Um, a guy that he likes called Herman Bavink says, each time the culture is preached in a different language to a different people, it has to transmute or translate a variety of words, as it were, and give them new content. The gospel does not find anywhere in the world a ready language that fits completely and absolutely like a garment. So we need to understand the world around us. We want to talk about Jesus in one sense. We'll come to more about that in a so we swim in culture. Secondly, is that we care about following Jesus. He calls us to live faithfully. He calls us to be holy. And John finishes his first letter, keep yourselves from idols. Therefore we need to have eyes open and be thinking. Um, thirdly, we care about telling others about Jesus. We'll think about more of this in a bit. Um, but for example, um, go through the book of Acts and you see uh, chapter 9 verse 22, Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. So he's engaging with Jews in Damascus, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the king. Um, or uh, Acts 18, every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. In chapter 19, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. They wanted to engage with people and therefore engaging with their worldview. The fourth one as well is it's one of the reasons we'll sing the song at the end that we will, but we care about Jesus being Lord of all. Every square inch is his, and therefore we, we, we want to make all our thoughts obedient to him. Thoughts about money, thoughts about family, thoughts about government, thoughts about technology, thoughts about how we spend our spare time, thoughts about sports, thoughts about X, Y and Z. If we, if we want him to be Lord of all in our lives, we want all our thoughts to be made obedient to him, then we need to take time to consider the world in which we live and what it means to live for him. Um, I feel slightly guilty in this, but we're going to be relatively quick as we go through the Bible. Um, that's partly because I want to get to the good stuff, partly because I want you to read the book as well, and there's a lot more in the book. In fact, if you look about online, you'll see um, in the book, he has uh, squished down seven points into three points. So if you, look, if, you, if you Google his name online, then you'll see actually it's part of a much longer talk that he does. So if you want more stuff than he's given in the book, um, you can go there and do that as well. Um, three main stages though that the book brings out firstly that human beings are culture builders God creates humans in his image to rule over his creation under his lordship and for his glory that is we are made in his image and as we are made in his image we reveal who he is as we relate to one another and we represent him the dream of Genesis 1 26 and 27 Adam is to be one who is like God, a speaker and a maker, and Eve, God's royal deputies. And so the first thing that we see Adam doing, he, he creates a classification system to name the animals. He's doing science. Then you see him writing poetry. He writes a love poem for Eve. Um, and the whole thing there to do is this cultural mandate of filling and working and bringing out the potential of what God has made. So it's striking. Do you remember in chapter 1 they're told to, to do this stuff, but in chapter 2 it's not until they work the ground that you see it actually 
coming to pass. And the way God does things is he doesn't put us at the end, but he, he gives us responsibility that we might partake, that we might be a part of things, equipped and enabled by him. Um, but so culture making is not just a hobby, but it is part of our calling and our vocation. It's who we were made to be as we were made in God's image. As he creates, so we create. Which is liberating, which is a good thing. It's part of who we are. Of course, sadly, the Bible doesn't end at Genesis chapter 2. Um, but as we walk out on God, that has implications as well for the way we do culture. So the fall reverses creation. Um, this is the second point, ruined. Um, reverses creation by replacing God with idols, which rule us and destroy our relationship with God, with each other and with the rest of creation. We know that some things are not good. We know that um, Tinder is not good. Um, that was going to be one of my, my list, actually. Thank you interested in what Tinder is. Um, if you don't know, then choose something else. Um, Netflix binges are not good. Probably. Star Wars prequels are not good. That <laughs> sounds strange. Um, you see, the thing is, we, we were made... Um, to worship God we have a propensity in our hearts for worship and yet now we worship the wrong thing because we've got rid of him so the things that we create are the things that we worship and he gives a helpful example of this from Colossians 2 um, verse 6 to 8 there'll be familiar verses let me read them and then tell you the point that he's making Um, Colossians 2 verse 6 to 8 So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord continue to live your lives in him rooted and built up in him strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ So he's using that just to show us that there are two options Either you can be rooted and built up in Christ or a hollow and deceptive philosophy, Colossians. Which kind of illustrate the options for us now that we've walked down on God. Reflected in what we create in our culture as well. And he says, and this is helpful, he says that culture is religion externalised. We are beings who are made to worship and made to create And the things that we create are culture, in one sense. Let me read to you from a theologian called John Frame, whom he quotes as well. Culture is what a society has made of God's creation, together with its ideals of what it ought to make. Or maybe we should put the ideal first. People make things because they already have a plan in view, a purpose, a goal, an ideal. The ideal comes first and then making things. First the norm, then the cultivation, the culture. So now we see how culture is related to religion. When we talk of values and ideals, we are talking religion. In the broad sense, a person's religion is what his heart most strongly, what motivates him, um, heart wants most strongly, what what motivates him most deeply. It is the value which transcends all other values. And then he goes on to talk about the three... um, backgrounds for the word culture. It's interesting that the Latin term colere also refers to religious service and comes into English as cult, cultic and so on. Culture and cult go together. If a society worships idols, false gods, that worship will govern the culture of that society. 
If a society worships the true God, that worship will deeply influence, even pervade its culture. If, like ours, the society is religiously divided, then it will reveal a mixture of religious influences. So what he's saying is, we still produce culture, and yet the culture we produce is not what it's meant for. We destroy culture. And yet at the same time then, culture destroys us. It's this positive feedback loop. What we make breaks us as we make it and as we consume it. So we make idols and those idols then shape us. <coughs> we both make culture and are made by culture. I think idols are really helpful. That's why on the next page I've given you an Isaiah thing, which you can do as homework. Um, but there you see people making things and then worshipping those things and being shaped by those things. The things that they shape are the things that shape them. And, and you see that, don't you? You see that all around us. You think, well, whatever, somebody has made X and then that thing shapes people. And you get this negative feedback loop. The third one, which again, in the online stuff you can get a three separate points. He's missed two out of one. Um, are rescued, restored and renewed. So we've gone through the cross at this point and you reach Jesus Christ. He's the second Adam who in his role as prophet, priest and king rules over everything. In the Gospel, Christians are united to Jesus and are restored to their role as rulers over creation. Christians look forward to a new heaven and a new earth which is this creation renewed and restored fully and for eternity. Um, he, he, he does a really helpful thing talking about do you remember Joy to the World, the Christmas carol? Of course you do. Um, and talks about how the work of Jesus is cosmic, by which we mean global, enormous. Um, no more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessing flow far as the curse is found. So his work on the cross isn't just about saving individual souls, but it's something more global, more redemptive than that. Grace is restoring and perfecting everything. And there's a reconciliation in Colossians as well spoken about the creation being reconciled to God again. Um, and where Adam failed in his cultural task, so Jesus, the second Adam, perfectly obeyed. And in a sense, as we are united to Christ, we get our jobs back again. For example, Matthew 28, 18-20, the Great Commission, in one sense is nothing new, it's just the cultural mandate again. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So we are sent out looking to fill the world and to subdue the world, in one sense. Or 2 Corinthians 5.17 is helpful here as well. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation, the old has gone, the new is here, the new has come. The new creation has begun. There's a sense in which we're already in it. It's the overlap of the ages, the now and the not yet, but, not yet, but the new creation has started. Or 1 Corinthians 10.31 as I started. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Uh, let's carry on. People doing okay? Kind of getting most of it. Things will make more sense once we begin to dig. Some people will struggle with the theory and ideas, but once you get into, once you get into 
practicalities actually seem to begin to make sense. At least, that's what I do. Um, point is, though, God is still revealing himself. So, Psalm 19, 1-2. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hand. Day after day they pour forth speech, and night after night they reveal knowledge. And this bit here, actually, is just after that. This is one of the most helpful things, I think, and trying to get to grips with this will be really useful for us as we think through um, some cultural analysis in a bit. Uh, he talks about shadows and sunbeams. That is, God still speaks to us through creation, through experience. And those things are meant to point us to him. So shadows are the hard things and the frustrating things. The things that make us ask why. Remember Garfield always used to ask why me? Remember that? Showing my age here. Um, who's he talking to in one sense? There's something in us that we ask that why question. Um, the shadows point us to the bad things which, which make us look up for the creator, the one kind of who's doing that. Um, C.S. Lewis speaks about suffering as being a megaphone to wake us up from our slumber. And the sunbeams are the good things and the blessings. Again, making people ask, where did it all come from? You know, you look at a look at a sunset. I mean, go onto Instagram and look for sunsets, and it's extraordinary. People are captivated by sunsets. You think, well, that's a nice random thing. Where does this beauty come from? Well, you know, why do I believe in beauty? But actually, those things are there to point us to Him. How do people respond? Romans one: suppression and substitution. Romans 1.18 The wrath of God's being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So we have the heavens declaring the glory of God. You have sunsets on Instagram and yet we suppress what we see to be true. We look for other reasons, for other ways. Um, one example I've been thinking through recently is I might have spoken to you about this, so I apologise if this is old hat, but the idea of death and how we suppress the reality of death. Um, do you remember, in the garden, Satan said, you will not surely die. And actually how that is the message of our culture now. No, no, death isn't a real thing. No, we, we, it's not so bad, don't worry about it. They're just in the next room. It's just a crossing over. It's perfectly natural. It's nothing to be scared of. And that lie of Satan is still there. So we suppress that truth. We suppress that shadow, if you like. Pretend it's not a shadow. It's not that God's communication is ineffective. We're just determined not to listen. He keeps on revealing himself and we keep on suppressing. And so we're without excuse. Uh, he uses an, an image of, you know, if you've been to um, a swimming pool and you've got a beach ball and you try and sit on it, what happens? It keeps going, boom, and keeps, you can't hold it down. And so God keeps speaking. He keeps out, the, the shadows and the sunbeams are still there. We, we try and pretend it's not there and so it's still up, it's up again. You won't last long. Um, so one is suppression, two is substitution. Again, so 1 verse 20, Romans 1, 21 to 23. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him um, nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God 
the images made to look like a mortal being and birds and animals and reptiles. Um, we push truth down and we fill the gap with God's substitutes. We exchange. We turn good things into God things. We exchange the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Let me read you a quote from the book itself. Like a nightmare where we dream about real things but it's all out of proportion and distorted. Idols spin and contour a false gospel story and promise the world but ultimately only deliver disappointment, despair and destruction. God's shadows and sunbeams are meant to be signs and pointers to eternal realities but end up not, not pointing to something else but coming to the end in themselves. And so in response to God's messages, our idolatrous suppression and substitution results in cultures of broken, fragmented stories. They create what appear to be highly plausible and ingenious imaginary worlds. But idols are parasitic on the truth, counterfeit stories. They hint and glimmer with the truth and reality of God's revelation, but ultimately take us away from Him. Then you've got homework. I'll be marking it. Um, and then you've got but Can I Watch Game of Thrones? Or something else. We'll do that next time. And what I really want to get into is to, the confront and connect stuff. Ah, so that bit there was quoted, isn't it? You just read that in mind. Right. I'm going to suggest that we do a little bit of group work because you've had enough of my voice and so have I. Um, let's do... I'm going to... Two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve. Let's... If you four... I'm, I'm ignoring the kids, if that's okay. I suspect they don't want to join in. And you two on the front. If you want to spend a bit of time, maybe in pairs or on your own if you like, whatever, but um, in 1 Corinthians 1, 18-25, and you're thinking about how the Gospel confronts Corinth and how it connects with Corinth, um, and then you stick at the back. You can go to Athens, Acts 17, and once again you're thinking about how the gospel confronts Athens and how it connects with Athens. Um, and the answer is at the bottom of the page in one sense. This is the the key thing from the book, if you like, and he talks about subversive fulfilment. That is. Jesus is the answer to this culture, but not quite in the way you expect him. So, for the 1 Corinthians crew, that was you guys, how do you see the Gospel confronting the culture in Corinth? Because it's just because it's the opposite to what they... Um, yeah. They thought they were wise. Yeah. But then um, what God was showing was complete, the complete opposite. Yeah. Um, so it's hard to see a connection, but. Did you guys agree with the connection stuff, or did you think there was a connection? Verse 24 Jews and Greeks call. Yeah. So the sense of it, absolutely, that it's, it's the kind of. It's totally subversive, but the connection is there and that God still, through his wisdom and power, subversively calls him to himself and 
grows his church and kingdom, yeah. Thank you. How about Athens? There's a whole load of stuff in Athens, isn't there? So, give me the, uh, the headlines. striking as well is that at the end of Athens that he's not he's not shy about calling for repentance but I mean it's it's not like a, sometimes perhaps we think sort of culture stuff and we're not quite getting on with the message or reaching actually but he's, he's really helpful in that you get there and there's a call for repentance you're going to be judged and therefore you have to do something about this um, One quote from the book I really liked. He talks about it's, it's about finding thirsty people who are on their hands and knees trying to lick up stagnant residue from a broken pot and turning them to find a stream of living water. So these sort of sunbeams that, that people are enjoying, you think, well, actually, there's, let me show you the sun that creates these beams. Um, let's go to the final page. Um, I will fill out some of those gaps next week. I recognise these zooms. But I, I did want to take a bit of time and give opportunity for um, an example of some sorts. Um, he's got four E's as to how we do this sort of subversive fulfilment approach. We like alliteration. Um, what do you mean that for how to make the best story come alive. Yeah, yeah, so how do we go about it? So if we're going to, so let's, you know, think of, it, think of Instagram or something, how would you analyse that in a way that's kind of methodical and logical and, and where we might get opportunities to speak of the gospel with our friends? Or, um, so the four E's on the back page, you should see them. So enter, explore, expose and evangelise. Um, uh, these, the verses, sorry, are from the um, time in Athens, Acts 17. Um, so enter into the world, listen to the stories, what are the messages, 
who wrote this story, what, who reads it, how does it affect them, so it's the background stuff, you know, what's going on with this cultural artefact, whatever it might be. Um, and then, having done that foundational stuff, stuff then begin to think through in, in a more critical sense, I guess not necessarily a negative, pejorative word, but, but just critiquing what you're seeing. How do they, does it point to shadows and sunbeams? What are the good things about Instagram? What are the bad things about Instagram? What's true, good, helpful, beautiful? Where's the suppression and the distortion? Where's it becoming idolatrous and unhelpful? Is it leading us to or back to God or, or away from Him? Um, then the exposed thing is to ask the kind of questions, I guess. If you, I mean, this would be with a friend whom you know well. But to ask the kind of thing, why do you use Instagram so much? What's that doing for you? Um, why does that seem so compelling for you? And then to think through, if you have a moment, can I show you why that might not be the best way of looking at this? Um, which is just a helpful, fairly um, soft way of asking, actually, can, can I just push back slightly on what you're saying or why you're doing this? And then to show off the gospel as subversive fulfilment, let me show you why Jesus is better news. Let me show you um, how this actually points to something bigger and better and more satisfactory. In fact, his is the big story that you're looking for. And this little story here um, is, a, is essentially a, a puddle on the floor that you're drinking from. Let me show you the stream of living water that you really need. Um, that's an image from Jeremiah 2, by the way, if that's um, familiar. I'm going to press pause again and then maybe to get you to do a bit of work 